It's good to see each one of you here. Philippians chapter 3, page number is 1,121. If you need a page number to help you find it in the simplified there, 1,121. Philippians 3 is where we find ourselves, and Paul is writing this letter to the church at Philippi. And I think it's just kind of neat to think about the fact that here we are, a church, and they, years and actually about 2,000 or so years ago, uh, there was a church there, and there were people gathering there, and they were worshiping Jesus there, and they were learning and growing in their faith there. Paul writes to them from home imprisonment, home confinement. He's chained to a Roman soldier, and very shortly he's going to appear before Caesar to have a final determination on his case. Paul's been arrested for his Christian faith. He's been arrested because there was, uh, what shall we call it, a riot uh, after he was found in the temple. And the Jewish people really hated Paul because Paul pointed people to Jesus instead of the law, instead of the Old Testament system. And so Paul had been arrested. Years later, he's found himself in Rome. He's under house arrest. And he writes this letter to the church of Philippi. We're going to pick up reading in verse number 8. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 8. Tonight we're going to read down to verse 14. I believe we'll only get to verse 12 and maybe not even that far. We're going to begin reading in verse 8 and reading down to verse 14. And I know you've gotten comfortable, but if you're able to stand, let's stand one more time for the reading of God's word. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 8. And the Bible says this, Yes, truly, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness that is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable to his death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, or were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I, am, I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not count myself to have apprehended but this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind me and reaching forward to those things that are ahead, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this, your word. I'm thankful for the truth of it. I'm thankful for the power of it. And I pray that tonight your word and your spirit would have freedom in our midst. And may we leave here knowing you in fullness. Help us to believe you and to trust you and to let the words of this passage minister to our hearts here tonight. Please have all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. You know, when you get to know someone, you get to know them in their personality. And some people have different sorts of personalities, right? I know some people count four, and I think with the Enneagram, you have about nine different personalities, and there's all different sorts, and probably the two major divisions of personality are what? That's right. Say it a little loud. Introverted and extroverted, right? Was somebody else going to say something else? I don't know. That's what, what I was thinking. Introverted and extroverted. And you know, when, when uh, another kind of uh, 
division, if you want to put people into two groups, is that there are some people who are optimistic and there are some people who are pessimistic, right? And you know the old classic example of this is if you have a glass that has water filled up to the midway mark, I have to be careful how I say it, right? Glass with water filled up to the halfway mark, the optimist says that the glass is half full. And the pessimist looks at the glass and he says it's half empty. Well, you know what I find is that this idea, you know, there's a sense in which there's truth to both of them, right? It's a matter of perspective. And you know that when it comes to the Christian life, um, there are people that, that bring their personality to bear, and there are people that emphasize different aspects of the Christian life more than the other. And Paul mentions two things in verse 10. He says that I may know him, that's to know Jesus. And notice the two things he says in verse 10. He says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. All right, that sounds like a positive thing, doesn't it? The power of his resurrection. I mean, that is a glorious and a good thing. But then he also goes on to say that he wants to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, I'm sorry, but sufferings sounds like a negative thing, doesn't it? And as we get into verse 10, we'll look at this. But, but I just want to point out that in the Christian life, there are blessings and goodnesses and joys that cannot be compared. And there are also difficulties and sufferings and trials. And once in a while, you'll meet a Christian or a preacher or a ministry that only emphasizes one or the other. All right? And they will tell you all about the blessings. Let's just pick this one first. They'll talk about the blessings and the miracles and the power. And they'll say, this is Christianity. It is to be healthy and to have all, every miracle and every power and every goodness. And you're always full of joy. And every day of Friday and, and on and on you can go with all the good things. And occasionally you'll meet a pastor or a, a, a Christian or a ministry. And they will only tell you about the difficulties. I mean, it's just hold on. It's the dark days and it's the end of the age. And everything's getting worse and worse and we just have to hold on till Jesus comes because it is awful out there, right? But do you know that there's actually some truth in both of these? Both of these are speaking elements of truth. And Paul says, I want to know Jesus. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. I want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. In other words, when life goes well, I want to know Jesus there. When life falls apart, I want to know Jesus there. I want to see all the goodness and the blessings that God has for me. And I want to learn from his chastening and from the trials and the tests that he sends into my life. And I hope, Christian, we're maturing to a point where we can appreciate both of those things. And we can recognize that God's working in the good times and the bad times. God's working in, in his blessings and in his power as well as in the times when things are very difficult. Before we get on to verse 10, before I get too in-depth with that, let's look at verse 9. We left off in verse 8. And if I could just give a word of context, in verse 8, Paul says that he counts all things loss. And what he's saying is he's turning away from all those things that he thought were a big benefit to him spiritually. And he says, I thought I was something before God because I had this and this and this. And in the prior verses, he listed off all the quote-unquote good things that he was trusting in. But he says, I, looked, I put that, all that behind me. I counted it all but lost. And he said, I did that so I, could, so I could know Christ. And he says, I first I want to win Christ. And then in verse 9 he says, and be found in him. He wants to win Christ and be found in him. Now, when we first look at the phrase win Christ, it may, kind of makes it sound like a competition, right? Have you ever been in a, a race 
And if you win the race, you get the blue ribbon, or maybe you get the $5, or maybe you just get bragging rights over your friend, and you can say, I'm faster than you are, right? Winning, and, and it, it almost appears from that phrase like Paul's saying, like beating someone else out and getting to Jesus first or something. Well, that's not really his idea when he says win Christ in that way. But rather what he's saying is when I turned aside from all these other things, I got to possess Christ. I got to have him for my own. And this is the, this is the, the central foundation and the secret of the Christian life is that we can have a personal relationship with Jesus that is from our heart to his heart. It's from his throne to our life. It's from the cross where he died for our sins, where we can have a connection with him that is personal. And this personal connection is a, a, a relationship of forgiveness. He says that I may win Christ. And then he says in verse 9, he says it this way, and be found in him not having my own righteousness. Not having my own righteousness. Paul says that my relationship with Jesus is such that whenever I'm examined, whether it's on this earth or in eternity, that people will look at me and they'll know that I don't have a righteousness of my own. Let's talk for just a minute about our own righteousness. Here he says that it came through the law. And you know what the law was? It was a whole bunch of rules. It was a whole bunch of regulations and do this and don't do that. And it was a system of do's and don'ts. And Paul says, you know what? I knew that law. I knew the rule book. And I worked really, really hard to keep all the rules. Maybe you know someone in your life that's really good. I mean, they are just a good person. They seem to do all things right. They seem to have it all figured out. They just have the life where you're like, man, I wish I could be like them. Because they just, they keep all the rules. Paul said he did not want that kind of righteousness. Think about that for a minute. He didn't want that kind of righteousness. Do you know why? Because he actually kind of had it. There was a day where he said, I do keep the law. And he was very careful. And he tried as hard as he could. Now, in reality, he didn't keep it perfectly. But he kept it such that people around him thought he kept it perfectly. And he seemed like a really holy guy. I mean, he was trained and he was holy and he did his things and he participated in all the religious rituals. And Paul here says, I don't want that kind of righteousness. I don't want the kind of righteousness that is through, uh, through appearances and through rule keeping. And he, he says that it was through the law, not having his own righteousness. True righteousness can never be your own. You know why? Because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the truth is, and, and if you know Christ, you know this for sure, that the more you know Jesus, the more you see your sin. The more I go and grow in Christ, the more sins I see. It's kind of like, if you imagine it this way, if you have a darkened house and the lights are all out and, uh, and, and it's kind of eerie and spooky and you turn on the front porch light and there you see some cobwebs, see some dirt, right? But if you keep all the lights out, you don't really see much. When you put, turn that one light on, all of a sudden you see stuff. But that's just the porch. Then you go on into the front hallway. You turn the front hallway light on. Oh boy, look at the trash there. Look at that smudge on the wall there. And when all the lights are out, I mean, boy, it just looks like a house. But the more those lights turn on, the more you see, right? And so it is in our Christian life. We grow, we grow closer to the Lord, and boy, that light of His holiness shines down on us, and we see more and more of our guilt and our wickedness. Now, you might, you might be discouraged when you hear that example. You say, boy, it sounds like the more you grow in Christ, the more horrible you feel by yourself. Well, hold on a minute, where you haven't reached the end of the verse. Because the rest of the verse goes on to talk about a different sort 
of righteousness. And this is the good news of, of salvation, the good news of the scripture, is that the righteousness we can have is a righteousness that is not our own. It's a righteousness that is given to us. It is a righteousness that Paul says is by faith. He says, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness that is of God by faith. Paul says, I want the kind of righteousness that comes through faith. Hmm. Well, what is this? What is this righteousness by faith? The righteousness of faith is a gift that is given. It's the work of Christ on our behalf. And when Christ gave his life on the cross, he gave it as a sacrifice, as a payment for our sins. And you notice how the verse says, the faith of Christ. The, the word faith there has to have an object. Do you know that everyone believes in something? Did you know that? There are even people who say, oh no, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in anything. Well, you know what they believe? They believe there is no God. And they've placed their faith in the fact that there is no, they, their theory, <laughs> that there is no God, right? They say, I believe there is no God. Well, they believe something, don't they? And everyone believes something. Well, Paul here says, I've put my faith in Jesus. I've put my confidence in Jesus. And the object of my faith is Christ. Can I just pause for one quick moment and go back to that self-righteousness? Do you know where some religious people put their faith? You say, well, they go to church, they must believe in God. A lot of religious people put their faith in themselves and their own good deeds and their own hard work. And they'll say, I'm better than so-and-so, and I do this right and this right and this right. I remember years ago, I think it was Mayor Michael Bloomberg of New York City said, when I die, he said, I won't even have to knock on the gates of heaven. He said, I'm just going in because I, I started this anti-smoking campaign and I've saved so many lives, they're going to like clap as I come in. And that was his approach to heaven. What was he doing? He was putting his faith in his own good works. Now, I think it's a commendable thing to help people stop smoking. You know, that's great. But the Bible never indicates we can put faith in our good works, right? Paul says, I don't want that righteousness that's my righteousness, because that's not going to cut it with God. I want the righteousness that comes by faith, faith in Christ. And so the object of faith here is Jesus. It is Christ the Lord. This is not a new thing. This is not a New Testament thing. In the Old Testament, listen to the words of Isaiah. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. You notice that? He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. It reminds me of Adam and Eve, and when they sinned, God provided them an apron or a clothing for them, right? Also in the New Testament, it says this in 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote this, but of him are you in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according to what is written, he who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. And one final verse, Romans 5, 19, through one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So through the obedience of one, many shall be made righteous. See, I get my righteousness not earned by me, not, uh, not because of my accomplishments. Do you know that instead of accomplishments, you know what I bring to God? I bring to Him my sins. 
I bring to Him my mistakes and my failures and my brokenness. And I come to God in my sin and I say, Dear God, I have no righteousness, none of my own. And you know what He gives me? He gives me His righteousness. Do you see how beautiful that is? That's what I call the greatest trade in the world. I come to God with my sins and He comes to me with His righteousness. And I give him my sin, and he gives me his righteousness. And he gives me cleansing. He gives me freedom. And do you know this is the center of why, this is the centerpiece of why we worship. Some people are like, why do you go to church? Why do you, why do, you do what you do? Why do you read the Bible all the time? Well, it's because of this. I've received cleansing. I've been forgiven. Christ has rescued me from my sin. He forgave me. He gave me his righteousness. And that's been the most life-transforming thing that's ever happened to me. There's nothing greater than this. And Paul says, look, when you find me dead in the field, when you find me in the marketplace, when you find me anywhere, you know where you want to find me? Not trusting in my righteousness. You want to find me trusting in his righteousness. That's the message of the gospel. So in verse 9, he says, I want to be found in him with his righteousness. And then in verse 10, he goes further and he talks about what happens next and he says this that i may know him that i may know him you know there's different levels of knowing people isn't there you know one of those uh maybe maybe you've had this experience where someone says do you know so and so and you kind of don't know what the answer is you're like well they're they're an acquaintance right or you might say this i know of them right and what that means is like you maybe met them one time or you've heard their name you saw their photo up in the post office where it said wanted for armed robbery, right? You know? You know of them, right? But you maybe wouldn't say that you know them. You know, there's different levels of knowing. You may have uh, met someone and you spent an hour together at a conference or a symposium or something. And for that one hour, you talk with them, you interacted with them. And then later, someone would say, do you know them? You say, yeah, I mean, I, I know who they are. But then, you know, if it's someone like your cousin where you've spent maybe a week, a year, and you've watched them grow through the years, and someone says, do you know them? Oh, absolutely, that's my cousin. I know my cousin, right? But even that level of knowledge is not quite the same as if you're married to someone, right? You know, does Amanda know Jeremiah? Yes, she knows him. And in fact, she knows him better than Alice or Beverly or anyone else in this room, right? She knows him best because she's closest to him. Paul says, I want to know him. And I want to pause on this and ask you this question. Do you know Jesus? Would Jesus say that he knows you? Now, there's a sense in which, oh, yeah, God knows everything. So it's maybe a little easier for us to say God knows me. But then let's flip it around. Do I know Jesus? Do I know the Lord? Do I know him? Do you know what? We all want to say yes, right? We all want to say, I know, I know him. But the honest truth for some of us, perhaps, or maybe for someone watching online, is that the better answer is that I know of him. You've, you've heard about him. You've, you've maybe just had a fringe interaction, but, but you don't really know him. Paul says, I want to know Jesus. I want to know him. Years ago in my life, um, I had an interaction where if I could go to the fellowship of his sufferings, I had a time in my life where there was, uh, my parents went through a really difficult time. And I had a hard time in my mind processing how this difficulty could go on and they could still love God. Because that kind of didn't compute to me. Because in my mind, you know, you're going to love people that treat you nice and you don't like people that, that do something difficult, right? 
And I remember my mom telling me, she said, John, I don't serve God because of the blessings he gives me. I said, you don't? She said, no, I get to know him. And what she meant is this, just knowing Jesus, just walking with him and learning of him and growing in him, that was the treasure. That was the prize itself. There was no other peripheral prize. It was Jesus. And Paul says, I want to know him. I want to know him personally. I want to know him deeply. I want to know him intimately. Paul had a desire to know the Lord Jesus. Now, let's take a pause for a minute. How long had Paul been born again? From this moment. Well, the Bible says that he spent over a decade in the back side of Arabia after he was saved. We're probably looking, I should have calculated it real specifically, but we're at least at 20 years since Paul was born again. And you know what Paul's still saying? I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to know him. Have you ever met someone that had been saved for like 40, 50, 60 years and they still read their Bible every day and they were still seeking the Lord and growing in the Lord? You know, that's, that's a beautiful thing. And Paul says, I want to know him. Now, he lists two areas, and we'll wrap up with these two areas tonight in verse 10. See, I told you we wouldn't get to verse 12, all right? Verse 10, he concludes, or I shouldn't say concludes, but he summarizes this knowing him in two specific ways. Maybe we could include three. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable to his death. As we read these things, Paul says, I want to know Jesus in the way of the power of his resurrection. And if I could just hit a pause for a minute and say, if Jesus is not resurrected, you and I are wasting our time. We are lost in a fantasy of this idea of some guy who lived a long time ago who's actually dead, but people said he rose from the dead and he didn't. Paul says, if, if he's not raised from the dead, we are of all men most miserable. And what he means is this, is if Jesus is dead, then this whole thing is just complete phony baloney. But if he's alive, then that means he's the most important man who's ever walked this earth. He's the one that we should give our full attention to. We need to hear everything he's got to say. Because you know what? I have never, ever, ever, ever met someone who came back from the grave. But there was one, and his name is Jesus. And Paul says, I want to know Jesus, and I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation for the fact that we can trust that he has power over death. I get up every Sunday and I point people to Jesus. I open the Bible and I say, he is the answer. He's the way. Trust him. Look to him. And you know, I can do so because he has risen from the grave. He has broken the power of death. And when Paul says he wants to know him in the power of his resurrection, he's saying, I want to know him because he's living, he's alive, and he's a powerful God, and he's still working today. I'm, I really enjoy the, uh, the testimony time we have here. When people share, I prayed about this, and God answered. I, I, I uh, asked the Lord to help me with this problem, and he helped me. Right? We serve a living God. Paul says, I want to know the living Savior, the one who's still working, the, the God of power, the God of might. I don't want to pray to a dead Jesus. He's alive. And that's the good news that we share is he is alive. Look to Jesus because he has power over death. So this power of his resurrection, and you know, Paul would say this uh, in Galatians, he would say, Christ lives in me. I want you to think about that. Christ lives in me. Now that's going just beyond he rose from the grave, isn't it? 
I mean, that's a whole nother level. It's one thing to rise from the grave. Here's a human. He did not have life. Now he has life, right? But now Paul says, he lives in me. He lives in my heart. And, and Paul says, I want to know Jesus in the fullness of the power of his resurrection. And if he's alive and he's living in me, then guess what? That is the almighty God. That is the powerful one. He is the one that can change and can rescue our soul from death and can forgive and cleanse and change us. There are many people that are seeking a change in their life. They want to do a little better. They want to try a little harder, kick this bad habit, get their life kind of on track. And you know, for many, they look within. They say, I got to do better. I got to try harder. But Paul, he would say, oh, no, no, that is, that is backwards. Actually, you need to renounce all of yourself and to recognize that you're the problem and not the answer. And you need to look completely and fully to Jesus Christ. And let his power work in you. Let his blood cleanse you. Let him change you. This is the power of the resurrection. It is, he is a living God that is still at work today. Now, moving to the next part. The next part he says, and the fellowship of his sufferings. This is the not so happy part. The fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know Jesus in the power of his resurrection. And I also want to know Jesus in the fellowship of his sufferings. Turn with me over to Matthew for just a minute. And I want to explain this term, fellowship of his sufferings. Matthew chapter 20 is where we'll go. I'll give you the page number here in just a second. Matthew chapter 20 is page 932. 932. And as we get over there, I, my, when my grandfather used to pray, he used a lot of old English words and, uh, when he prayed. And sometimes when he talked about the food at the table and giving thanks for the food, he would say, this food for which we are, of which we are about to partake. And he would use the word partake. So you probably don't hear that word partake every day, but do you know what the word partake means? It means to take part. Just kind of reverse that around. Partake, take part. And the idea is you have people around a table, and I take part of the dish, and you take part of the dish. You think of Jesus, you know, the last night, he broke the bread and he handed it amongst the disciples. They each took a part of the bread. And that, this has the idea of the fellowship. It is to take part in, to have a part in, to be connected with, to have an interaction with, and to be a part of something. And when he says, I want to know Jesus in the fellowship of his sufferings, I just want to point out to you that it does not say the fellowship of my sufferings. It says the fellowship of his sufferings. And you know, the Bible is teaching us that there's the sufferings of Jesus, and then the Christian gets to partake in his sufferings. Sometimes we get it really backwards and we say, Jesus partakes in my sufferings. Well, there's, there's an element of truth to that. Yes, he, he walks with us and he loves us. But ultimately, we're partaking in his sufferings. So you can meditate on that a little bit. In the passage in Matthew 20, I want you to read with me uh, in verse 20. I'll read and give a quick explanation. And I hope this helps us understand the fellowship of sufferings. Verse 20 says, Then the mother of Zebedee's children came to him with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing from him. He said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, the one on your right hand and the other one on the left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, we are able. He said to them, you shall indeed drink of my cup, 
and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to those for whom it is prepared by my Father. When he uses those phrases, are you able to drink of the cup? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism? It sounds kind of, you know, mystical and a little strange. What is he talking about? But very soon he's going to talk about the cup of his sufferings. When he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he would say, I must drink all of the cup that my Father has given me. And that cup of sufferings, he says to them, are you able to drink of this cup that I'm going to drink of? And in the short term, the answer is no. But in the long term, they would later give their life for Christ. And Paul here says, I want to partake. I want to be a part of the sufferings of Jesus. I want to know Jesus in his sufferings. And you know, we can learn so much about God through our pains, through our problems, and, and through the fact that we live in a way that pleases Him and we endure problems for it. You know, there are times we kind of bring our own problems on our own self, right? Sometimes we dig our own hole. There it is, right? But, but this fellowship of His suffering, that would be our sufferings, okay? That's what we bring on ourselves. But here He says, I want to partake in His sufferings. And you know what this is talking about? It's talking about when people suffer for doing right. When they suffer for doing the right thing. When they suffer for the gospel and for the work of God and and when they do right and, and evil and difficulty come upon them, Paul could talk about his beatings and his imprisonments and all these different things. And yet, in this verse, he says, I want to know Jesus so deeply. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. And I also want to know him in his sufferings. And so Paul's saying, if I get to know Jesus through my life being more difficult, I get to know Jesus. We sometimes just value the blessings or the easy times. But Paul says good times or bad times, pros or cons, mountaintops or valleys. I just want to know Jesus in it all. And through the whole part, I get to know Jesus. And, and if I could encourage you with this, if you can let Jesus be your goal and knowing him and trusting him, first in that, that faith where his righteousness becomes yours, and then as you grow in that, if you let Jesus be the main thing, you can grow through anything. You can know him in anything. And Paul is testimony of this because he went through awful times at times. And he saw great spiritual victories and great transformations as well. And through it all, he said, I know Jesus. This is, this is beautiful, folks. And I hope you can grab a hold of this. If you have questions, we'll take any public questions anyone wants to ask in a minute. And if you have a private question, we're available for that too. Uh, but as we wrap this up for tonight... Paul said that his foundation was not his own righteousness. It was the righteousness given him by God. And through that, then, he was able to know Christ. In the good times and in the bad times. In the powerful resurrection power of Jesus and in the difficult suffering as well. He got to know Christ. This is our privilege as well if we will embrace it. Let's bow to the Lord tonight. Lord, I thank you for this time in your word. I thank you for Philippians 3. It is so deep. It is so beautiful. And I pray, first of all, that this truth of righteousness will be made clear to, to each heart, to every soul, young or old, that we come to you, Lord, not with our own righteousness, but we come with our sin, and you give us your righteousness. We thank you for that freedom and that forgiveness that you give us. Thank you for the day that I received that for myself. And would you spread that good news? Lord, we also pray that our knowledge of you will be growing throughout all time good times and bad times. And I'm thankful that you are alive, you are at work, that you are a God that we can trust fully. 
And I'm also thankful that when suffering and trials and difficulties come, that we can still grow in you and we can learn things in the valley we could learn nowhere else. And I pray that as Christians, we will be strong enough and stable enough to grow in all situations. Help us, I pray. We need this and we thank you for giving it to us here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.